The sermon text for this morning comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. This is God's word. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. I've had to wait in the whole service to wish you good morning, so I'm glad to get to do it now. Um, It is a joy to get the opportunity to preach uh, this morning, um, to prepare for you guys, um, to serve with you guys, and that is not a small part because of the way that um, you guys have served me and my family in the whole time that we have been here, especially been thinking about it this last year, uh, which has been very long. And it has been uh, an opportunity where it would have been easy for us all to kind of consolidate and think only of ourselves. And there are just so many ways, so many words um, and gifts and encouragements and and time with our family you've given us that I just wanted to take a special privilege to say thank you uh, for that. Um, That being said, I'll say one other thing. Um, It's a little bit ironic that we are looking at this passage this morning because it is about food, and it is about a speaker who is preaching on and on and on, um, and people who are sitting, listening, and getting hungry. And we are a little bit behind in time uh, this morning. And I know that you are all feel like you're the disciples, um, that you are about to starve, even though it is uh, only 1040 in the morning. Um, and I resonate with that too, and I have that in mind. Uh, one of my favorite songwriters is a songwriter from Texas named Lyle Lovett, and he has this song uh, called Church, which you should check it out, and the live version is the best. Uh, but it is an epic tale of a preacher who is dissatisfied with his congregation um, in how well they're paying attention, and says that I have one more thing to say about the judgment day, and if you don't pay attention, I might decide to preach all day. Um, in which the first person narrator keeps singing, to the Lord let praises be, but it's time for dinner now, let's go eat. Um, But Jesus here, he knows that people need more than just instruction. He takes time for healing and words, um, and he also feeds them. So let me pray uh, with that intro and ask that the Lord would do more in us than just give us words, but that he would actually lay a banquet uh, before us this morning. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, your word, for um, the risen Christ who is with us, who is alive and living all the time, and who is always looking out for us and taking care of us. 
I pray that you would feed us this morning, that you would open our minds and open our hearts, be with my words, uh, that together uh, we might feast on you. Uh, We look forward in hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to start off by saying that a group of people that I really admire and have increasingly admired um, the last couple of years are mental health workers. I know we have many here, uh, various kinds, um, counselors, psychiatrists. Um, you might throw pastors into that, into that list. Uh, I certainly admire Charles and the other pastors that I know. Before, that sounds a little bit arrogant and self-important for a pastor to say that. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, in the journey, I mean, it really is a journey that I feel like I've been in, very much in the middle of trying to figure out uh, how to do this thing of, of um, you know, ministering the gospel and taking care of people and their needs. Uh, one of the things that has just become very clear um, is that we all know what it is like to be hungry. We all know what it is like to be needy in some way and to need provision. But it is an extra special um, burden uh, to feel the burdens of those around us. And this is not just something that is true of mental health workers or anybody of the like. This is something that every one of us in this room has in common, in that we not only have our own needs, but we are surrounded by other people who also have needs uh, that we love and who we care about, and these things weigh on us. They They are a unique kind of burden that we always have to bear. I mean, I know it is only a few, you know, people removed uh, from you. Uh, if you start thinking through your friends who, that you know somebody whose life is falling apart. And you know somebody who is in grief. Uh, you know somebody who is trying to raise kids and are at their wit's end. Uh, we have an ever-present stream of news uh, that we get online. Uh, we feel the burdens of poverty um, of those around us and social needs and those kinds of things. And so we are surrounded by needs, and we have, we're always left with this question is, what do we do with that? Um, and I think this passage, the more I've looked at it, actually speaks to this issue. If you notice when it's read that it is, a, it is a story about provision, but it is also a story about discipleship. And it's a story about disciples who were called into a place to actually serve others, um, to meet the needs of other people. Uh, to feel the needs of other people, and to not know exactly what to do about it. And so I want to talk about this, um, this issue, these, the, that sense of burden of the needs of those around us in particular this morning. And I want to talk about it because what Jesus, I think, in summary lays out in this passage is that, is that what, what he is doing, and especially, and this is not just something that he has done in the past, this is something that he is always doing, as he is the resurrected Lord, as he is the Lord of the feast, he is the one who is with us in his spirit, that he is declaring to us that he is the great provider and that he is always laying out a banquet of excess for his people uh, wherever they are. And it is because of that, because of the banquet that he is laying out for his people, that he calls us to follow him in, in, uh, in discipleship and to learn from him, to feed from him, and to serve with him. So I'm, where I'm going to look at that, I've got two points, um, and they are both, uh, uh, they're not commands, but I think they're, they're, these are two things that we are being called to from this passage. Um, one is I think we are all being called to serve at the table of neediness. 
uh, with Jesus. We'll look at that first. But that's not all. At the end, uh, we're going to see that we're also called to feast at the table of excess. And as we unpack these things, I hope uh, just this, the richness of what Jesus has here, this good news, uh, will, be, will be made clear. So let me jump in and let's just look at a few details here in the, in this, um, in the passage. First, looking at uh, this call of Jesus to his disciples to serve at the table of neediness. And I want to point out, you know, one of the first things that stood out to me when I read this and might have stood out to you when you heard it is, you know, it's kind of natural that maybe the disciples notice that there's a big crowd here um, and they're hungry and that they might um, conspire to, to meet the need. And that is something that we might, you know, we do those kinds of things all the time. But the curious thing is when they bring up this need to Jesus was Jesus's response. They said, why don't we send people away into the town so they can get food uh, because they're hungry, uh, because they had compassion on the people. And we might have expected Jesus to, um, to do a couple of things, either to agree and say, good idea, everybody go away um, and go get food um, and leave kind of an every man for themselves kind of thing. Or we might have expected Jesus to say, you're right, um, I'm here, I'm the Lord of the feast and I've got this, so just go sit down and, and I'm going to take care of it. But he doesn't do that, does he? The thing he says to the disciples is, why don't you guys go and give these people something to eat. And as absurd as that is, I'm going to put the absurdity of that question um, to, the, to the, we'll talk about that in just a second, just the impossibility of the disciples to do this. And I just want to look at this aspect of service that Jesus is calling these disciples into. And that he, in the face of this need, he is actually, he is reinforcing this idea that they are here also to serve. He is pushing them into the crowd to actually move into the need um, and to serve these people uh, with everything that they have. And when we think about that, this is not just an isolated incident. Think about the disciples and who they are. Um, These are people who Jesus picked out, and they are certainly recipients of God's grace, of his divine favor on them being picked out um, by him. But they're on the road, and they're following him. They're moving around with Jesus wherever he goes, um, with crowds into, new, into um, town um, where Jesus is healing, where he is ministering. They are on a road of following Jesus. That what Jesus says, he told them to come follow me. There is an activity of service that he is calling the disciples into, just by nature of who they are, being disciples as they are followers of Jesus. And we don't know this yet, but if we were to fast forward in the story... And then we are also, we would see, especially when we get to the book of Acts, that Jesus is actually even now crafting and he is preparing the disciples for a moment to come when Jesus would not be there in bodily form, in the flesh as they know him now. But they are preparing them to go out and to continue this ministry of service um, as, to as far as the ends of the earth. And this is what it means to be a disciple. And I want to say a few things about that. Um, Just because we, if we are also followers of Jesus, then we are people who have been called by Jesus and where he says to come follow me. And there's a couple of ways that we can can confuse um, what this good news means. One way we could confuse it is to say that I'm going to, service means I'm going to go out and I'm going to do, I'm going to be very selfless. I'm going to give away all my stuff. 
I'm going to extend mercy to those who need mercy. I'm going to do a lot of good things. And because of those acts of service, then I will feel a sense of peace and security that I'm truly a follower of Christ. And that is not the picture of who these disciples are. Every one of these were misfits that Jesus plucked out, and he asked them to come follow me. And every one of them were people whose faith was weak, who stumbled along the way, and who made a royal mess of things on every occasion. They were still disciples. To be a disciple is to be a disciple by grace. But there's another way that we could, we could um, confuse the identity of discipleship. And that is to say that to be a disciple is only to, be, to receive what God has given us and then to remain um, attached to ourselves and our own needs. And that's not it either. Part of the very identity of who we are as the followers of Christ are servants. They are following in Christ's wake, going where he is going. We are people being prepared even now in the present as servants who are not self-focused, but who are focused on others. That is part of our identity. It is not something that we ever earn, but it is an identity that we have been given and that we have always been called to. And Jesus is he's narrowing in on this issue that rather than just meeting this need, he is pressing on this issue of discipleship and he is calling the disciples to continue this road of service um, with him. But it's an unusual kind of service. Like, lest we think that this is just something that is going to be all roses and success, let's now talk about, you know, the absurdity of what Jesus says to the people. He says, go and serve these people with um, 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. We don't, you know, there were likely women there. Um, It might have been a term for men and women. It might have been just emphasizing the fact that there were some big appetites here. Like there were, um, this was a very big need. And all they had were five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, I want you to go and feed them um, and give them food. And we understand the sarcasm that comes back from the disciples um, where they say, how are we going to do that? We don't buy food for everybody let alone the fact that they just came back from a discipleship journey in which they were to take no money, so they had no money to buy anybody food. And so Jesus instructs them to go out and to form groups and to start serving them even before uh, they knew what he was going to do. And so in some ways, in the first part, then we see there's a confrontation with self-centeredness here where he is pushing the disciples into Uh, this task of service, but he's also confronting a measure of self-confidence here at the same time, and that he is putting the disciples in a position where they don't actually have the resources to do what they are calling to do, calling what Jesus is calling them to do. And Jesus is a dangerous host at this feast. He is disrupting, and he is poking around in things, and he is making even his disciples very uncomfortable. And I want you to think about have you ever had a time when somebody has given you a job, especially that people were dependent upon you, but you didn't really feel equipped to do that job? And you're always at risk of trying to meet the need, but at risk of being found out that the resources aren't there, the know-how is not there, the capability is not there. That's kind of what this is like. And I think this might be for many of us. Many of us need the push to remember um, 
this type of service that we are called to as Christians. But I think a lot of us in here just kind of feel overwhelmed. I know when I was talking through some of this my wife, with my wife, she, in the way she does, good with words, said, I just, I feel like I'm hungry and everybody around me is hungry. And there is not enough food um, to go around. When we feel the burdens of those around us, uh, we feel also the inadequacy uh, that we have to meet it. And what, before moving on, I just, I want to push in that point just to see what Jesus does. Jesus is doing this on purpose. This is not an accident. He is actually pushing his people out into a place where the only resource that they actually have to offer is their own neediness. It is not safe. This is not a safe thing, and it is not predictable. But it is something that is very uncomfortable. But he is calling his people to move in, even to the neediness, even where the resources are not there, not with an attitude of self-focusedness and not with an attitude of self-confidence or expertise, but of love and service, of thinking about the needs of others, of moving into that space and having fellowship there as fellow people who don't have enough to eat. It's a, this is a call to serve at, the, serve at the table of neediness. It's needy people serving other needy people with neediness being our primary resource. So what do we do with that? You know, fortunately, um, that is a, a big part of this story, but fortunately that is not the only, the only part of the story. And that we get, and it is, you know, it is, it is a good thing to acknowledge that we're needy and we don't have the resources, but that is only half the issue. And we, if we get good at that and we don't get the other half, then we really have nothing. But what Jesus is also calling us to do is to feast at the table of excess. And more important, at least just as if not more important than recognizing this sense of neediness, is also recognizing the sense of fullness, of extravagance, of excess that Jesus is providing just by his presence here. And this, we see this in this story, what Jesus, he does a miraculous thing. He takes just five loaves and two fish, and he sends the disciples out. Um, and he feeds everybody. It says everybody eats until they ate until they were satisfied. And they were left over with 10 bas- uh, 12 baskets of bread. Don't know exactly what that number means. There have been different suggestions, but you can kind of get the picture. Every one of the disciples was walking around with a big basket with way more bread than they had actually started with. Like there was more provision here than they could actually eat, even in their, even in their hunger. And what Jesus is doing is he is signaling this lavish provision of just who he is in his person. That it is not just a cool party trick, but the Lord of the feast is here. He is bringing a new kingdom. He is bringing the kingdom of God down to earth. He is the king of this kingdom. He is the Lord of the feast. He is the great host which is laying always out, out on an offer uh, this banquet of excess to come to him and to eat to eat until we're satisfied and to have more left over. This is a wonderful picture of the kingdom of God. And in order to just illustrate this, you're going to have to, um, you're going to, have to get in the mindset of a kid and also remember that I grew up kind of poor, like as a, uh, a pastor's family with a lot of kids, so we didn't go out to dinner a lot. Uh, once a month we would go to Shoney's 
Y'all remember Shoney's? It's kind of like Ryan's, like it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Of, and as a little kid, to walk into this place and to see that there is just more food than you could possibly conceive of. And we would go at it with gusto. I mean, with salads, they're like, there's much where there's like lettuce and bacon piling down off of the plate just to start with. And that was before the three courses of main entrees and the five ice creams after that. I mean, it was, you know, Shoney's is not exactly fine dining, so that's where the illustration kind of uh, breaks down. But if, if, if you're in the mindset of a kid, it is just a picture of extravagance. The Lord of the Feast is here, and he is providing something that is not at all stingy. And one of the things that we, as we go about life, as we feel our own need, we feel our own hunger, and we feel the hunger around us, then life can start to feel more like a desert than it can a banquet hall. That there is more hunger than there is food to meet it. And Jesus is proclaiming to us that the Lord of the Feast is here. And he is welcoming everybody to come and to eat their fill. And I want to ask us um, what that means tangibly. Like, that's a good vision, and that's something that is encouraging. But it's not like you were going to go home today and then have this smorgasbord laid out just because we have trust and faith in Jesus. But I think the key here, what the disciples learned, more than just the bread, more than the satisfaction, that what they would always have forever was Jesus himself. The Lord of the feast would always be with them. He would always be present with them. He is the king of his kingdom that has come down to earth as Christ has come in the flesh. He is bringing good things and he is working good things. And they were going out into a place of neediness where they were not going to know what was going to happen. But they always knew the Lord of the feast was with them. Even if it wasn't bread, even if everything seemed dark, that the Lord of the feast was always with them. And he was always bringing everything to the end, to that great banquet which we are all going to feast together in um, at the very end that we're all looking forward to. And so what what all I really want us to do here uh, this morning, I want us to notice these aspects of this story. I want us to take this call to discipleship, uh, this call to service, as a part of our identity, as something that we are all called to. I want that to challenge us. I want that to spark our creativity together as we as a community are on the road of discipleship with Jesus, following him into our communities, following him into each other's lives, feeling overwhelmed together and without need. But I also want us to be firm in the discipline of feasting. And I want to just end us, just, I want us to all think about what a dinner party is like, what, it, what feasting looks like. Uh, you drink, you eat, you laugh together. There is a fellowship that is around the table. There is a savoring. There is a, a slowness and leisureliness um, about the atmosphere. There is a looking at all of the things on offer with excitement of, of what is this new dish, a curiosity about what the host has provided. And I want that to sink into our hearts because this is what we have with Jesus. He is always serving good things. 
new things and wonderful things for you. But we are called to approach Him by faith and to savor that, to feast on that, and to not let it go. Um, To have a kind of zeal, to even test the limits. Like you would test the limits of Shoney as a kid. Is there really more food here than I can eat? And there always will be. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, indeed, thank you. Thank you for this picture. Thank you for the encouragement and the hope that it gives. I pray that you would help us to eat of it, uh, that we would indeed take it into our hearts. We would be satisfied with you, that we would, be st- we would stop as nothing until we are satisfied as you, and that you would use us. You would go with us and you would guide us wherever uh, you have asked us to go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.